Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include mortgage points to buy down rates, my interview with Built Technologies' Riley Thomas, where he takes us through a comprehensive overview of the commercial real estate space, and a look at the kabuki theater that is the U.S. debt ceiling. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. There isn't much one can do about rates or homes for sale, but one can always let FHFA know what you think about pricing. Meanwhile, lenders are doing what they can to help borrowers. Last year, per Zillow, about 45% of mortgage borrowers around the nation used points to buy down the mortgage rate. LOs are watching demographic trends. America was once extremely mobile, with people often moving between states for work. From 1986 to 1997, 29% of job seekers relocated to a new position, a figure that fell to 17.8% over the period from 1998 to 2007 and seemed to crater out during the pandemic at just 4.1% in 2021. In the first quarter of 2023, just 1.6% of people relocated to take a new job, likely due to a tight labor market, remote work, and people having more choice to take their pick of work without moving. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Built Technologies' Riley Thomas to take us through a comprehensive overview of the commercial real estate space. He's the SVP of Revenue at Built Technologies, a Nashville-based fintech company focused on bringing construction lending into the digital age. Previously, he served as Regional Sales Manager at Clearwater Analytics in New York, where he grew three market verticals for the fast-growing fintech provider and assisted in the expansion of its global fund managers, Bermudian and U.S. insurance companies and corporate clients for 10 years. In his role at Built, he leads the company's sales, marketing, and customer success teams. Today's discussion is going to be focused slightly on commercial real estate, which I think is a, a nice change of pace from me droning on about the residential mortgage market every day. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have you back, Riley. I, I thought you were very well spoken last time and, and there was a lot of information we covered and uh, the audience really enjoyed it. So I want to start by asking you, there's massive scrutiny around portfolios of every size right now. What are some ways you're seeing lenders prepare for that? Yeah, I would say if they're preparing right now, it's probably a bad state, right? Because they're going to be reactive, not proactive. Um, so I'm in New York today. I probably had 15 or 16 meetings with various large balance lenders in the last two weeks. And so I've got a pretty good state of the market. Um, it's quite divergent. You have some who say, we love our portfolio. We're in a really good spot, minor exposure to office. And then you have others where it's a scramble. And I think that really is predicated on two major stratifications, office and retail. And what I mean by that is not necessarily class A office, brand new building, but class B office. So think about those industrial parks right outside the the city. Um, those workers are not coming back at the rate which the landlords had expected. And therefore, those rents are not being paid 
which means you're moving into a default uh, zone or, or, or workout zone. And that's just going to be prevalent. I mean, every lender for the most part had some type of office exposure, but what you really want to focus on is that class B and class C office exposure. I think there's going to be a few lenders and we're going to talk a lot today about some of the failed banks and some of the liquidity crunches that we've seen recently. But yeah, it's 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 definitely out there and I expect more of it. There, there's more maturities coming and it's going to reset to the higher rate and you're not going to be able to refi and make money based off of the pro forma that you had done a couple of years ago. I do want to talk about banks and, and when JP Morgan decided to buy First Republic, some of the chatter was will they keep the First Republic offices? Because a lot of those First Republic offices are within a mile of a Chase branch. And oh, so yeah. that's a lot of overhead for them to keep. When it comes to these banks, do you think there will be continued scrutiny on regulation at banks, given some of the failures we've seen? Oh, you're already seeing it. So everybody I've talked to <laughs> from a $500 million you know, community bank that has exposure is the regulators, for lack of a better term, are coming in with daggers out. And what I mean by that is they are a little bit reactive to what could be um, a pretty pervasive problem. And that is all of these banks thought that office was going to be a good investment. And now across the United States, you're seeing that there's exposures or pockets or highlights of risk. So they're asking, you know, what, what is your plan at the asset level? Do you have good visibility into the tenants in those buildings? What do the leases look like? And everybody from your credit union to your community bank, all the way up to your major tier one money center banks are asking the same questions. It's no longer a too big to fail thing where we're only focused on the Wells Fargo's and the Bank of America's of the world. This is trickling down all the way to your local kind of um, retail bank on the corner. And so when it comes to built, you work with lenders of all sizes uh, to ask kind of a prying question here, which lenders are faring the best right now, despite this tough macroeconomic environment? To be candid with you, your tier one money center banks are probably in the best position. Um, they were the most conservative with the risk-based capital. A lot of what happened in the Trump um, era is a deregulation of secondary and tertiary banks, right? So the regionals and even the community banks. And you know, whether you like it or not, if bankers are unregulated, their goal is to make money. And in a low interest rate environment, it's really easy to deploy capital because it's basically free. And so the worst loans were made in the best of times. And if you think about the last couple of years, we've had this major run up. There's a wealth effect with house, house values, you know, to bring in kind of the, the mortgage play here. And the bankers are making loans that are now going to turn a little bit sour. And so um, I, I do think your money center banks are in a really good position, but there were regionals, as you've seen with um, SVB is not a great example because of their commercial real estate exposure, but definitely Signature, First Republic, you know, PacWest, Western Alliance. Those are all kind of super regionals or regional banks that do have significant real estate exposure and likely an exposure to office. And you see it in their share price. It's being It's being crushed by the market right now. Sounds like a trend is going on here, and that's Class A real estate's doing well, Class B and C not so much. The big banks doing so well, the regional banks not so much. Kind of it, it pays to to, or I shouldn't say it pays. The the wheat is separating from the chaff. Would probably be a, mm -hmm. a, a better way to put it here. So 
Last year, Bill actually acquired a company in the commercial real estate deal management space. What's that solution look like now for you? Yeah, well, first, let's define what is deal management. So deal management, unlike in the mortgage space where you have loan origination systems for the high volume of applications that flow through, in the commercial real estate space, you've got to think that every building is almost like a prototype. So it's really hard to build a true loan origination system for lenders for the bespoke nature of commercial real estate. So deal management to built and deal management to others in the industry means pipeline, underwriting, sizing, and then asset and portfolio management of a commercial real estate loan. And that whole process is almost always in Excel. It's incredibly manual. And so imagine if you're um, a lender that has 100 or so assets. How do you take all of that information and provide a good report to the regulator on the performance of those assets? You have to have systems. And so last year, we were really excited to bring on a company called Native, which was born and bred out of commercial real estate here in New York City. And what it was is a tool for folks who originate and asset manage loans and pull it into one central location, but yet be able to stay in your native workflows. A lot of the problems with commercial real estate is, you know, the data exists, but nobody puts it in the system and it's just too hard to get into the system. So we believe this tool is a way for both regulators and lenders to get better control of their portfolios, have better insight, transparency, and then look at the performance of those loans in a quicker, easier fashion. So you mentioned that native can benefit originators, lenders. What sort of lenders can benefit from native or, or that type of tool in general? Any any lender who would originate a commercial loan. And so I would say that it's unique, um, you know, to quote Warren Buffett, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And <laughs> if I if I had been talking to community banks two years ago, everything's good. It's fine. We've got, you know, low amount of loans. We we understand our portfolio. We we know those borrowers. They 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 go to church with us on Sunday. Well, that is different now. It's a risk on environment. And those banks are now realizing that they need really robust asset and portfolio management tools, whether they have 10 loans or 100 loans, and regardless of their relationship with the borrower. And that that has changed. That is a nice paradigm change because big banks, where I said kind of the money center banks have always been a little safer, they know they need these tools. They know they need this infrastructure. But on the lower end of the market, it was okay to deal with the status quo, which was just working out of Excel silos. I would say that that has definitely changed. And the regulator is the impetus for that change. You had mentioned some of the regulation from the, the Trump era being looser on uh smaller banks than than larger banks. And I think the cap is or the the thresholds around $250 billion in assets. But when it comes to those regulatory tailwinds, and we, we might see that change here soon. Mm-hmm. How are the how is that regulatory environment affecting how built your your built banks mm-hmm. are evaluating how they report on their commercial real estate data? Yeah. So there's a number of regulations and it truly depends on FDIC or OCC or any of the other regular bodies. But the whole kind of like focus now is kind of the quality of the assets itself at the asset level and having good systems in place around those assets and knowing where the challenges is. To to link this back to what happened in 2007 and 2008 in the mortgage market when they bundled all these mortgages together and there was kind of um, you know tranches of what I would call problem loans and then they sold it to Wall Street. 
you were kind of just shifting the risk, right? And so you were just kind of selling it out to everybody. In this case, these are loans that are actually on the balance sheets of these banks. They haven't securitized them yet. So you're looking at the bank itself as having to basically have what's called an impaired asset, meaning that if they were to sell it today, they couldn't sell it for what they basically paid for, what it's on their books for. And that would mean a write down at the bank level. So this, this I would say that the structure of the bank itself is kind of in jeopardy if they have these problem loans. And so that's why the regulator is kind of focused at the bank level. And I don't believe it's a, like a systemic risk where everything across the industry is going to fall apart. You're going to see pockets and you're already seeing it where, you know, First Republic um, for, you know, basically made really low interest loans on products that would be hard or very difficult to find a buyer for. Um, you know, vineyards in Napa, there's not very many people who want to buy vineyards in HEPA. So it's going to be really hard to unload those loans. And it's going to be hard to unload class B office right now. You're just not going to see the tenants who want it. Maybe you can repurpose it. I don't know. Maybe maybe it just becomes sagebrush blowing through the kind of the parking lot there. Yeah, and I think we saw with the JP Morgan deal, they acquired First Republic's loans at a, a price of 87 relative to par. So uh Certainly, certainly a hit, and and they also, I guess, uh, Jamie Dimon said that the the First Republic business model of making below market rate mortgage loans will uh, cease, which which is probably a prudent move on their part. So I want to close by asking you these regulatory tailwinds we talk about. How's it going to affect the use of technology in the banking sector? Yeah, um, I've spent the past two decades with a, a simple thesis that good, strong technology where you get to the atomic unit of data closest to the source will prevent and can prevent financial fallout. Um, I think it was a good time in my career in 2007 and 2008 to just watch what happened in that um, mortgage-backed securities market. And now I kind of see the same thing happening. Fast forward, say, you know, almost 15, 16 years in the CMBS and um, CRE markets. It's all caused because you have bankers who are basically kind of originating loans, but then not having the proper oversight of those loans over time to foreshadow what risk could happen. And technology can prevent this. Like it, it is not that hard. If you have the data structured in a way to see it, and you can look at it and manage the portfolio accurately and timely, and it doesn't take a lot of effort and man hours, then we don't have to put ourselves in these positions. And I firmly believe, you know, real estate crises have existed for hundreds, uh, if not thousands of years, I'm sure. And but over time, we should get better as a species. We should learn how to prevent these things so that we don't have them happen over and over again. Um, and I believe technology will be one of the tools to do that. Um, we won't prevent all of them, but we should be able to prevent some of them. I'm with you there. And before I let you go, what was Riley Thomas doing 15 or 16 years ago, 2007, 2008? Yeah, so I got um, I, I got a lucky start in a kind of fixed income asset manager that was uh, building technology and seeing into some of these loan pools. And so our technology was able to provide transparency on a lot of these kind of structured products that were really messy. And I worked with a number of Fortune 500 treasurers at the time to help them like see into their loan pools, know their exposure and kind of get a workout situation for the business. And because of that, 
um, it, it transpired into probably one of the largest kind of fixed income transparency tools that went public last year, a company called Clearwater Analytics. Um, but that was kind of the first idea of this same framework, which is get closest to the source data structure in a way that you can use it in the future and then provide great transparency and reporting on it. Cool. Well, you're certainly a wealth of knowledge and I really appreciate having you on. I very much enjoyed this and hopefully we'll have you back on sometime soon. Absolutely. Anytime, Rob. Of the 11 Fed speakers this week, Dallas Fed President Logan yesterday went the furthest beyond the higher for longer and no rate cuts in 2023 message that the Fed has been pushing, saying that inflation is still too high to consider pausing rate hikes. Inflation did slow for the 10th straight month last month, but prices have still risen about 5% over the past year. As a result of those remarks from the Dallas Fed President, rates rose for a fifth consecutive day yesterday, and Fed funds futures are now handicapping nearly a 40% chance of another 25 basis point hike at the next Fed meeting on June 13th to 14th. The one category of inflation that remains too high and will likely keep the overall inflation above the Fed's target throughout 2023 is labor-intensive services, which will cause the Fed to struggle to cut rates in 2023 without some type of drastic deterioration in that sector. We learned yesterday that existing home sales fell 3.4% month-over-month in April to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of $4.28 million, according to the National Association of Realtors. On a year-over-year basis, sales were down 23.2%. Median home prices fell 1.7% compared to a year ago, but around half of the country is experiencing price gains as multiple offer situations have returned in the spring buying season. The inventory of existing homes for sale remains tight, which is due in part to the strength of the labor market and ability to work remotely, and the rise in mortgage rates that is deterring existing homeowners' interest in moving. One quick note on the debt ceiling, since it has been making headline news. While more signs point to the U.S. economy slowing and the Federal Reserve making progress in its inflation fight, Washington could, and it's unlikely, but still, soon destroy all that while shaking the global economy in unprecedented fashion. Few investors doubt that America will make good on its debts, but even a technical default that delays interest and principal payments would roil the $24 trillion treasury market, the bedrock of the global financial system. The fallout from a default could lead to a deep recession, a spike in unemployment and borrowing rates, a blow to national security, and other grim ripple effects. There was allegedly good progress this week after President Biden met with Republican leaders. But with U.S. government cash set to run up by June 1st, Treasury Secretary Yellen has repeated that the only good outcome for Congress is to raise the country's $31.4 trillion borrowing limit, though she hasn't said what measures she would take if that doesn't happen. Without any economic data of note on today's schedule, Friday's all about Fed speak, including Chair Powell taking the stage. New York President Williams and Fed Governor Bowman will also make an appearance. We begin the day with agency MBS prices slightly worse than Thursday night and the 10-year yielding 3.66 up to closing yesterday at 3.65%. It should be noted that yield curve inversion, with the two-year up to 4.27, is the biggest resistance for rate sheets to drop lower, especially with Fed funds futures repeatedly getting ahead of sticky inflation metrics. Let's wrap up with part five of Not Our Joke this week about New York City and some housekeeping. Crosswalks are high traffic areas. If you're waiting across the avenue, get out of the way of people who are crossing the street. Make a path. Watch out for people on bikes. Don't just step off the curb, they'll hit you. That's not a deal. <laughs> Dogs and humans alike use the sidewalks, streets, and planners as bathrooms. Keep that in mind when you get home. 
Clean your shoes. <laughs> I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.